Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. If I have not had the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Tim, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, God's been doing some really cool things here at Bridgewater lately, and uh, he's been really amazing us. And so this year, we are doing something called a Vision 2022 Giving. And so we are asking God to, asking God to really provide $500,000. Put up this next slide. What are we asking for? We're, we're praying that God would, through you, provide $500,000 for what? Well, $50,000 would go towards ad additional ministry leaders. So we have an intern. His name is Mason. He's a central service intern. But you see Mason here almost every week. He's serving. He is running our worship ministry. He's running our youth ministry. And he's doing an incredible amount of things. If you were one of our volunteers and you came to the big event Mason led that. He organized that. He led that. Um, last weekend, he was at Binghamton University doing U-Fest, inviting hundreds and hundreds of college students to our campus, telling them about God. He's doing incredible things, and we have min ministry interns all over the place doing incredible things. We're also looking to raise $50,000 towards a new campus launch. We don't know when, we don't know where, but we are praying that God would would provide that money and provide a, a place where we can expand and go and continue uh, bringing the gospel into new areas. But we're also praying about $400,000 to go towards the purchase and renovation of a new building for our Tunkhannock campus. They are growing. They are expanding. September 11th, they're going to a third service. And so they are busting out the seams of their building. If you've never been to that building, it is an old, old Baptist Church that is very, very small, and we, we purchased it, we renovated it, but we've outgrown that, and so we are looking to come alongside them. And the fun thing is, when this campus was launched, all the other campuses did the same thing for us. They helped us buy this building. They helped us renovate this building, and so now it's our turn to come alongside Tunkhannock and see how can we help them. And so what we're asking is that you would give above and beyond your normal giving. And I know for a lot of us, that's a stretch because inflation is up, gas prices don't seem to be changing, and money is tight. So where is that money going to come from? Here's what I'm asking. That you, or you and your family, or you and your spouse would begin praying about this. And just simply go to God and say, God, if we were going to give, what amount should we give, and how do we make that happen? For me, I'm going to be looking for different, different ways I can cut spending. So I'm going to be looking to personally stop eating out lunch. I don't eat out a lot, but I do eat out too much. And I'm going to look for ways to cut that. We're looking for subscriptions in our household, like Amazon Music, to cut. And then, okay, if we're going to cut this expense, where can we spend that here? And so all I'm asking is that you would begin praying about that that you would begin having that conversation. And what we're going to do is on October 30th, we're going to have an actual time of giving. There's going to be envelopes in the back. You can, you can give just towards that. But what we don't want you to do is to not give to the regular giving. We want you to give above and beyond that. But first of all, the only thing I'm asking you to do is pray about it. Talk to your spouse if you're married. Talk to your family. And just begin thinking about it. What would that amount be? And that's it. Let me pray about that. God in heaven, we are amazed 
by your grace. We're amazed by all the things that you're doing in and through our campus. And um, you are at work. And you've been using our interns and you've been growing this ministry and you've been bringing people to yourself. You've been softening hearts and opening eyes and you've been doing a great work in Tunkhannock. We're thankful for that. And we're asking that you would help us to be wise stewards of the money that you have given us, the resources that you have given us, and that we, we would think of creative ways to save, cut spending, so we could give to what you're doing. We want to get on board with how you're at work. And so we pray that we would be faithful to you as you have been so faithful to us. Pray all this in Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> well, it kind of feels like we're meeting in a swimming pool today, doesn't it? You like, you like the humidity? We'll look into that soon. All right, so let me ask you a question. On a scale of one to 10, how brave or courageous would you say you are? Would you say you're like a one, like the cowardly lion from the Wizard of Oz? Or would you say you're like a 10, like Mulan? Mulan, who her dad was supposed to fight, he was older and he, and he couldn't, so she dressed up like a boy and she fought in the army for him. Where are you? Are you, are you a one, are you a 10, or are you, or are you too scared and too nervous to decide you're gonna pick a five? Where are you on that scale of courageous, bravery, boldness, a seven? Well, in 2004, Viktor Yushchenko ran for the presidency of Ukraine. And as he was running for the presidency, he was actually winning. And the state, uh, their, their, their favorite person, who was actually backed by Russia, began to get a little nervous. And so Victor, who was in the lead, mysteriously became poisoned. And he almost died. His body and his face began to swell up. And as he began to get sick, they came out and they saw that he was still winning. And they noticed that Russia tampered with the election results. I'm not saying that they did or they didn't, but here's what they were doing, and on the day of the election, they began to announce that Viktor Yushchenko had actually lost the election. And as their mainstream media began to proclaim all of this was happening, there was a lady named Natalie Dimitrik who was in the, the far corner, and she was doing sign language for the deaf community. And as she was signing, this is what she said. She said, I'm addressing the deaf citizens of Ukraine. She said, they are lying, and I'm ashamed to translate those lies. Yashenko is our president. And an estimated 100,000 deaf people saw what Dimitri was signing, and they took that, and they began to text and tell as many people as possible, and that spread like a wildfire. And other news stations, they caught on and they began to also share that information. And that led to something called the Orange Revolution. And in 2004, millions of people gathered in the city of Kiev to protest that election. And out of that protest, they had a re-election and they finally came to the conclusion that Viktor Yushchenko was in fact the third president of Ukraine in 2005. That's incredible. So imagine if one lady could have the boldness and the courage to stand up and say, what is happening is a lie. 
That small screen in the corner is a picture of the church on the big screen of the whole world, and she had the courage and boldness that impacted an entire country. What would happen if our church began to have that kind of boldness for Jesus? What would happen in Broome County? What would happen in your neighborhoods? What would happen in your schools? What would happen at your workplace if we began to have that type of courage and boldness for Christ? How do you get there? How do you have that kind of boldness to stand for Jesus? Well, that's what we're talking about today. So if you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, really the theme or one of the themes of Acts is boldness. And the writer is a guy named Luke. Luke is a medical doctor, and he is writing as what is happening in the birth of the church. This church is brand new, and in the first few centuries, they are going to face all sorts of persecution. Christians are going to die for their faith. They're going to be thrown in the pits of wild animals. They're going to be, they're going to be made into live torches to light up uh, Nero's garden. And here is the account of the very first time they are persecuted for their faith. Acts chapter 4. We'll start reading in verse 1. Let me give you a little bit more backstory of what's going on here. You see, in chapter 3, Peter walks by. Peter and John are doing ministry, and they're walking by a guy who is lame. He can't walk at all. And so as they're walking by, they see this guy, and they come over to him, and they start talking to him, and, they, and God heals this man. And now everybody is staring at this man who once could not walk and now can walk, and they're staring at Peter, and they're staring at John, as probably you and I would stare. I know I would. I'd be like, what just happened? I can't, wait, rewind. And they're staring at him, and all the religious leaders are getting upset. And they're confronting Peter and John as Peter and John are doing ministry. And Peter is kind of part preaching and part rebuking these people. And so that's what's happening. Chapter 4, verse 1. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? So back then, if you were on disability, there was no paycheck coming. Your job, your way of making income was to be a beggar. And this man relied on the sympathy and the grace and mercy and kindness of others. And he was lucky enough to have friends to carry him and bring him in a place where lots of people would pass by. I know if I'm walking by this guy, I might be tempted to not even make eye contact with this guy. 
I mean, Peter and John could have walked by and thought, okay, I, I have a place to go. I have, I have people to talk to. They, they might have thought, I don't even have any money to give this guy. They might have thought, okay, I, I don't really want to be an inconvenience to this guy, but they weren't focused on that at all. They stopped. They had a conversation with this man, and God worked through Peter and John to bring healing to this man. And he got up, and he walked, and now they are freaking out. They are disturbed. They are upset, and they grab Peter and John, and they throw them in jail. And now they are there surrounded by also the Sanhedrin. There would have been 70 members of the Sanhedrin. This is like the Jewish Supreme Court, and they're interrogating them. They're questioning them about what? Who healed this man? That's their question. That's their beef. Is this guy couldn't walk, and now he can, and they're upset? And Peter and John could have said, you know what? You're right. We didn't have a permit for this. We probably should have asked permission. We, we made a big mess. You know what? There's a nice hill over there. We'll just go over there. They didn't say that. They didn't protest. They didn't fight. They didn't make a big deal. They go along with it. But then when given the opportunity, they begin to talk about Jesus. They're greatly disturbed and they're irritated and they continue to talk about Jesus. Look at verse eight. Then Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, rulers and elders of the people, and he begins to talk to them, boldly talking to them about Jesus. It wasn't mean to be filled by the Spirit. As a believer, the Bible talks about you have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. It indwells you. But what does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit? In Ephesians, Paul talks about how you should not be drunk with wine, but you should be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? One time I saw James McDonald illustrate it this way, and he had a glass of milk, and he had some chocolate, and he said, okay, you're a believer, and the Holy Spirit enters into your life. I mean, we need a lot of this, right? <laughs> a lot more, right? So what does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit? The chocolate syrup is inside the milk. If you drank that right now, probably wouldn't taste a lot like chocolate milk. Oh, we need more. All right. So what does it mean to be filled? It means that that chocolate syrup begins to control and dominate and influence that taste that is now chocolate milk, not plain milk, but chocolate. And so when you are filled by the Holy Spirit, you are allowing the Holy Spirit to control and influence your life. That's why Paul says, don't be drunk by wine, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. He's comparing and contrasting those two. That when you're, when you're drinking alcohol, or you're taking drugs, or you're taking something, you're controlled by that. You're under the influence of that substance. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And so when you are being filled by the Spirit, you're walking in obedience. You ever feel the Holy Spirit convict you? 
you ever feel like, okay, I shouldn't do that anymore? Or, or yeah, I'm, I'm feeling prompted to, to do this. This is what I need to do. I'm living out obedience and what God's word says. And then you actually do that. That is being filled by the Holy Spirit. And so Peter is not doing this in his own abilities. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says to them. Verse 9, if, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He's calling out these Jewish leaders. These, these are the religious leaders. And he's saying, you killed Jesus. You crucified him. And he is boldly proclaiming this. The stone you builders rejected, which you Become the cornerstone. Verse 12, notice this. Salvation is found in no one else. So there he is in jail in front of the most prestigious, religious, educated people in the whole nation. I mean, his life is in their hands and he's calling them out saying, you rejected Jesus. And salvation is found in no one else. There's nowhere else you can find salvation for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's only by Jesus. And so he is boldly talking to these people about his faith. He sees them, recognizes that they are so far from God they're spiritually blind. Their hearts are hardened. Their ears are closed. And he begins talking to them about Jesus because he cares for them. Then, verse 13, when they saw the courage or they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished that they had took note that these men had what? Been with Jesus. So these are really educated people, and they go, these are just ordinary fishermen. They're not even educated. They didn't go to Bible school. They didn't go to seminary. They don't have, uh, they, they've never spent time with a real rabbi. I mean, Jesus is like this fake rabbi, but these guys don't know anything. And they're blown away because they see the boldness and courage from these guys. They're ordinary people, just regular people who work a regular job. And yet they have the boldness to stand before these people and share who Jesus is. And I love this last part. They had realized that they had been with Jesus if you want to be bold in your faith, that's going to require you and I to spend time with Jesus. If I want to actively live out my faith, that's going to require me to carve out some unhurried time to read my Bible, pray, and be with Jesus. 
if I want to be bold and courageous in my faith, I've got to carve out unhurried time to go to a small group and be surrounded by other people who, has, who have also been with Jesus and let them speak into my life. If I want to be courageous and bold in my faith, I've got to do the things that Jesus did. They saw Jesus boldly live in front of other religious leaders. They saw Jesus boldly talk to them about what is true faith. They saw Jesus live out his life, and they are just imitating that. So if I want to be bold in my faith, I've got to begin to spend time with Jesus. I need to imitate him. So his life, Peter, his life is on the line here. But the thing that he sees is that these people are far from God. And if you want to boldly live for Jesus, you need to invest in people who are far from God. That's your first step. That if you want to be bold, if you want to be courageous in your faith, find people who are far from God and start investing in them. Start spending time with them. Begin taking them out or hanging out with them or inviting them over your house. And honestly, you don't even have to have any spiritual conversations right away. You just need to be their friend. They need to know that you actually care about them. That when there's, there's a project at their house, you go and help them. If they have an issue with their car and you have the ability to help them, you go and help them. If there's something going on in their life, you go along and you just invest in them. You're spending time with them. Salvation is only in Christ alone. Peter is so bold in his faith. He's boldly proclaiming, and these are the people that are accusing him. They could take him, they could take his life. The second thing we see is he invites them to come to God. He tells them that salvation is only in Christ alone. So here's what we've been doing. I've been talking about these pray, invest, invite cards for a long time. And if you're here and this is the first time you've heard me mention it, then we have these back in the back at the welcome desk underneath that TV screen. And I would challenge you to grab one of these, pick one person and write their name on it. And then begin praying for that person. And here's a quick hack. Use a permanent marker because the pens will not work on this glossy material. But if you take a Sharpie or something permanent, write it in there, and then use this as a reminder. Who in my life is far from God that I can begin praying for, praying about? Who can I begin investing in? Who can I begin inviting to take their next step? Or maybe invite them to open house or invite them over my house or invite them into a conversation and boldly talk to them about Jesus. And I know sharing your faith is scary, but there's these split second opportunities that seem to kind of come along and then they just, they go. You've probably recognized them when they're gone, right? And when those happen, you just kind of have to like stick your foot in the door and be like, okay, let me follow up with that. Let me ask you a question. Let me make a statement here and boldly talk to them about Jesus. We sent out a survey a few days ago, and I don't know if you got it or not, but it asked people about how, how are they with sharing their faith? 
Are they nervous? Are they ready? Do they feel prepared? Could they share the gospel with somebody? Could they, could they share how to put their faith in Jesus? And a lot of people said their biggest fear was rejection. That they're afraid of not knowing the answers and they're afraid of being rejected. And that's a real fear. That's something I struggle with. That people might not like what I have to say or they might not like me anymore. But Peter and John, they're boldly living for Jesus. Look at verse 18 with me. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. So they're basically asking the religious leaders, who should we listen to? Who should we obey? Man or God? And how the religious leaders are kind of stuck in this corner. Well, what are they going to say? Verse 20, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They cannot decide how, how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. For 40 years, this man couldn't walk. For his whole life, he was relying on begging people to make a living. And all of a sudden, God came along and radically changed this man's life. Jesus had radically changed John's life and Peter's life, and they were going to tell everybody about it. And so if Jesus has changed your life, if he has transformed your life, wouldn't you want to share that good news with other people? If, you, if all of a sudden you had the answer to cancer, you knew the way to, to completely eliminate it, wouldn't you want to share that with other people? And Jesus has entered into your life, radically transformed it. Wouldn't you want to go and share that with other people? Peter and John are boldly living for Jesus. So here's a question. How do I share the gospel? Maybe that's your hang-up. Today, I just want to take a few minutes, and I want to walk you through a gospel presentation. It might not be the best one. It might not be even your favorite one. But if you have a phone or you have something to write with, I want you to take notes because if you're at a coffee shop or you're at breakfast or you're at lunch or you're hanging out with somebody or you're talking to them in the office and you begin talking to them about Jesus and you're like, okay, it's, it's starting to get around faith. Like, what do I say? How do I do that? Let me walk you through that. Let me share it. So first of all, Adam and Eve, they started close with God. They were with God, and then all of a sudden, sin entered into the life, and sin separated them from God. And so if I'm drawing this, I would just draw a line right here, and then draw another line over there, and I'd put you, and I'd put God, and I'd put sin. And I would simply explain to somebody, hey, here's what Romans 3.23 says. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned, and they fall short of the glory of God. Meaning I've sinned, you've sinned, everybody has sinned. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. So I would tell them, 
If, if, I'm, if I'm sitting across the table from you, I would say, hey, my sin has separated me from God. I, I have a job, you have a job, you've earned wages. My sin earns me death. I deserve to be separated from God. That's my sin. No matter how many good things I do, I keep falling short of God. Even though I walk old ladies across the street, I give money, and I, I give blood sometimes, I do all these nice things, I give Christmas presents to little kids in need. The Bible says, my sin makes me fall short of God. But the good news is that Jesus died on the cross. John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So Jesus died on the cross. So then I would explain to them, and I would draw a cross right across here and bridge the gap and say, that's why Jesus died on the cross. And as I'm explaining this, I would be asking them questions to make sure that they're following along. So tell me, put it in your own words, what is sin? And I would want to know, can they explain that? Have you sinned? I'd want to know. Okay, so, so according to John 3.16, why do you think Jesus came? Okay, I want to make sure they're following along the whole time. All right, so Jesus died. Now what? How do I put my faith in Christ? What do I need to do? How do I get from here to there? Well, here's what the Bible says. Romans 10.9 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, then what? Then you'll be saved. What does Romans 10, 13 say? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in that moment, I would explain, okay, here's what it means. My prayer doesn't save me. It's simply the vehicle of my faith. It's, it's how I'm explaining and expressing that I believe that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, and I'm asking Jesus to be my forgiver and leader of my life. And then I put the ball in their court. What do you think about that? Tell me, what does it mean to be saved? How do you get saved? The whole time I'm having this conversation, I want to know, are they tracking with me? Or is this flying right over their head? This is one of the most simplistic ways you can explain the gospel. If you have a better way, do it. But if you're like, I have no idea, you can literally draw this out on a napkin and share the gospel with somebody. And if they're not ready, you'll know. You'll understand that they're not following with you. Don't force it on them. So what? Who is the one person that God has put on your life? So here's, here's the two things we want you to do. We want you to invest in people who are far from God, and we want you to invite people to come to God. That's what it looks like to boldly live for Jesus. So who's the one person who is far from God? Who's the one person that's far from God that, that has put on your mind? Everybody needs to grab one of these cards, these pray, invest, invite cards, and begin encouraging them to pray. And, and here's what I would challenge you to do, that you would actually tell somebody, you would text somebody, and you would say, hey, I'm going to start praying for John. Would you also pray for John? And bring other people into the conversation. 
and then they'll pray for John, and hopefully they'll remind you or ask you, hey, how's it going with John? And then spend 30 minutes with them this week. Spend 30 minutes with somebody who is far from God this week. And then invite them. Invite them to open house. That's why we put out these, these packets. There's an incredible event happening in just a few weeks. And there's going to be bounce houses for the kids. There's going to be chicken. There's going to be some awesome food. There's going to be some games. There's going to be a huge block party here that you should invite your friends and your neighbors to. Say, hey, I don't know if church is your thing, but our church is doing something really cool. You should check it out. Would love to have you come as my guest. That's it. And you hand them one of these cards. And then you entrust the rest to God. So boldly live for Jesus. Today, would you have the courage to boldly live for him? This week, what would happen if you and I boldly lived for Jesus? Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, we are thankful that we have an account of the scriptures that tell us how Peter and John boldly lived for you. We're thankful that you used them in spite of all the things that were happening. We're thankful that you were bringing thousands of people to salvation all because these men were bold and courageous in their faith. Father, I ask that you would give us that same kind of boldness, that same type of courage to live for you, that we wouldn't be afraid, that we wouldn't be worried of what people would say or think, we wouldn't be thinking about rejection, but that we would boldly live for you today and this week. pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Would you please stand and sing one final song?